Alana, very welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Shayla Pierce. You're listening to Catholic View, your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View. Coming up in today's feature, we'll be bringing you the inspirational story of Dr. Mireille Twaigira. But first, as usual, I'd like us to start with just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Wednesday evening, 20 million at high risk of famine, CAFOD is Africa crisis appeal, and Pope Francis July prayer intention. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis' prayer intention for July is for those distant from the Christian faith, the lapsed Christians. Chris Saltieri has more. Pope Francis has released his video message accompanying his monthly prayer intention for July. This month's intention is for those distant from the Christian faith. Let us never forget, Pope Francis says, that our joy is Jesus Christ, his faithful and inexhaustible love. Porque cuando un cristiano se pone triste, quiere decir que se ha alejado de Jesús. When a Christian becomes sad, he says, it means that he has distanced himself from Jesus. Urging believers never to leave lapsed Christians alone, he encouraged them to offer them Christian hope, with words, but above all, with testimony, with freedom, with joy. More than 16 million people in East Africa in the countries of Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia and South Sudan are in urgent need of food following a drought that has lasted for many months. CAFOD, the Catholic International Development Charity in England and Wales, has joined forces with Disasters Emergency Committee, DEC, as aid agencies respond to what the UN is calling the largest humanitarian crisis since 1945. With the launch of the East Africa Crisis Appeal, CAFOD and DEC aim at providing urgent supplies to the more than 16 million people. Head of CAFOD World News Unit, Nana Anto Awakie, speaks of her recent visit to northern Kenya. When you see that figure, it's probably quite meaningless. It's only when you're actually in the field and you're meeting community members that tell you their very uh, emotional stories of their survival. So in Isiolo, we saw how our church partners, Caritas Isiolo, are responding to that need by distributing food vouchers. And the women that told me, literally, they gave their children water to drink for the day, a cup of water, no food, a headmaster that told me about a little girl fainting in class who told him that she hadn't eaten for two days. So that worry about how will I feed my children, how will I keep my children alive, is amongst every single family member that we met. And we could see the impact 
of the work of Caritas Isiolo. When family members, when particularly women told us, Caritas didn't forget about us. We are not near the road. We're not near the town. We are far away. But Caritas didn't forget us. So we saw the impact of the food voucher scheme where the vulnerable members of the community are, are identified by their own community and then they receive a food voucher, which means that they can access food in the local community so it all stays within the community and so that they can simply feed their families. Meanwhile, the head of FAO, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, José Graciano da Silva, said at the conference in Rome that in addition to northeast Nigeria, Somalia, South Sudan and Yemen, 19 nations are in a protracted crisis situation, typically because of war, droughts and floods. Nearly 20 million people, we estimate, that are heavily affected in those countries. And this is happening less than two years after we agreed to eradicate hunger by 2030. Strong political commitment to eradicate hunger is fundamental, but it's not enough. Hunger will be only defeated if countries translated their pledge into concrete action, especially at national and local level. There is where the people lead. In a message of support to the conference delivered by the Vatican Secretary of State, Pope Francis called for international recognition of a right to food. The World Health Organization, WHO, has declared an end to the most recent outbreak of Ebola virus disease in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC. Jocelyn Samira has more. The announcement comes after the last confirmed Ebola patient in the affected Baouele province tested negative for the disease for the second time. Four people have died from the outbreak while four others have survived the disease, the agency confirmed. The country's Ministry of Public Health officially declared an outbreak of the virus on May 11th after a cluster of undiagnosed illnesses and deaths with bleeding symptoms was reported in the Likati Health District. Likati is a remote, hard-to-reach area which shares borders with the Central African Republic and two other provinces of the DRC. This is the eighth outbreak in the DRC since 1976. The most recent was in 2014, around the same time the virus wrecked havoc in West Africa, killing more than 11,000 people. A jihadist group in Mali has released a video in which six hostages appear, including a Colombian missionary sister kidnapped from her convent in February. The Al-Qaeda's Mali branch released the video on the eve of French Prime Minister Emmanuel Macron's visit to the West African nation. Sister Gloria Cecilia Navarez, kidnapped on February 7th, has appeared in a video broadcast by Al-Qaeda, in which she appears along with five other kidnapped foreigners. Gloria Cecilia was almost 250 miles from the capital of Mali, Bamako, when she was kidnapped. She was sent there as a missionary by her congregation, the Franciscan Sisters of Mary Immaculate. 
Moving on to West Africa, lay Catholics in the troubled Ayara Diocese in Nigeria have said they will not accept the leadership of Bishop Peter Opaleke, even if the priests of the diocese adhere to a papal demand for obedience. Early in June, Pope Francis issued a stem directive to priests of the Ayara Diocese, warning that if they did not accept the leadership of Bishop Opaleke within 30 days, they would be suspended from ministry. Ministry. Bishop Opaleke, a priest of a neighboring diocese, was appointed by the pontiff in December 2012. The Catholics of Ayara, angered that the bishop was not a native of their own diocese and that he was a member of another tribal group, has refused to accept the appointment. Although the priests of Ayara are apparently prepared to accept the Pope's demand for obedience, lay Catholics have vowed to continue their resistance. A massive protest against Bishop Opaleke was held at the diocesan cathedral on July 2nd. Governor Rocha's Okorosha of Imo State, in which the diocese is located, visited the cathedral on July 2nd and made an appeal for an end to the stalemate. The governor urged Catholics to accept the Pope's appointment. And finally, according to UN Miss, schoolgirls from South Sudan are learning gymnastics to help them release stress and heal from war-related trauma. Jocelyn Sambira has more. A group of talented girls from different ethnic groups in Ye Town are helping promote love, peace and unity in diversity through gymnastics. They play, sing in unison and climb on each other's backs while they perform their routines. The club, launched by the NGO Spring of Peace and a group of civil affairs officers serving with the UN mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, seeks to teach these girls new skills and instill hope. Not only do these girls get to entertain their audience, but they also get to release stress and help heal trauma created by the ongoing civil war. Amira Aisha Ibrahim is a member of the gymnastics club. I feel very excited because I can manage to carry a friend on my back. That means I can manage to lift difficulties of life. And when we came to gymnastics, we came as one from various schools. We got to know each other. We're now friends. You can interact with each other when you meet on the way in various places. That's what gymnastics is all about. The fitness program not only helps hone the skills of young girls, said James Mugo, Unmiss Civil Affairs Division officer, but it also helps them develop coping mechanisms for the countless challenges they face in their lives. And the fact that they started with young girls is also quite encouraging uh, because young girls face a lot of challenges. So it really encourages them uh, to grow up and, uh, and enhance their skills not just uh, in promoting peace and reconciliation, but also for their future. Mugo said that he often visits the club to encourage the girls to focus on their education amidst challenges caused by the war. The gymnastics club has created a space where girls from different ethnic groups can come together and mingle to foster peace across these groups, a key priority for UNMIS. It's all about coexistence, says the executive director of Spring of Peace, Aligo Morris Apollo. As they climb on each other, that shows the tolerance because you feel the pain, but you are able to tolerate not until that person comes down. If that person does not have the, the, the spirit of tolerating, you should have just checked herself and then the other person falls down if you have bad hearts on that person. But it's just because of their love, because of their tolerance, they also forgive each other, they reconcile. Like when somebody has stepped on you, 
you will be able to forgive that person and say sorry so that you continue to coexist together. Currently, Spring of Peace only works with girls, but Mr. Apollo said that there are plans to introduce a club for boys. Meanwhile, Amira had a message for parents in South Sudan. Parents don't force your children to marriage. We girls, we have a future, we have dreams, we have hopes in this life. Sometimes people say girls are just a waste of time, they're just a waste of resources, but that's not true. We're also human beings, the same rights with boys, and sometimes you may find, like in my class, girls are leading. And those were just some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Pierce, and you're listening to Catholic View. Coming up next is our feature, and we'll be taking a look at a very inspirational story from refugee to medical doctor at the age of 24. Five-year-old Dr. Mirel Twayigira, who together with her family members fled Rwanda soon after her father was killed during the 1994 genocide, in their search for shelter in various refugee camps in countries like DRC and Angola, Dr. Twayigira lost her mother and was left with her grandfather who died in 2007 and eventually adopted by her uncle in Malawi, where they were granted citizenship. In spite of the challenges she faced, Dr. Mirel Twayigira excelled in education and won Malawi's Zodiac Best Girl Award Scholarship to study medicine abroad. Dr. Mirel Twayigira graduated as a medical doctor at the age of 24. Today, she shares her inspirational story with us. Let's listen. I was born in Rwanda, as, as you know, and uh, after the war in 1994, after losing my father, so we had to, to flee from the country. And we went to, to Burundi, then Congo, and then there was war in Congo there. After some time, we had to leave there and go to the first of Congo and then Angola, and then went to Zambia in a big refugee camp where we moved to Meheba. And from Meheba, we went to Lusaka, and from there, and then we went to Malawi in 2000. And in, when we reached um, Dareka refugee camp in Malawi, it was just me and my grandfather and one of my uncles, because the rest of the family, first my, my dad had died in Rwanda uh, during the war, and then I had lost my sister, and then my mother had died in Congo, and my grandmother had died in Angola before we reached the refugee camp, and some of my aunties had died, and my, um, many of my family members had, had gone such way. So when we reached Malawi, it was just the three of us, and while there, uh, I was going to school, uh, the school by Jared, from primary school, then went to secondary school, and then uh, in, in secondary school, the last year, I sat for the final exam, where I was among the top six students in the whole country who got the highest mark, and because of that, I was, I was given a scholarship by the uh, Chinese ambassador during a ceremony that is organized by a radio station called Zodiac Broadcasting Station as, as a way of encouraging girls to have this uh, ceremony 
of awarding the best girl. So uh, through that, I was given the scholarship, and then I was given an allowance of friendship to be able to go on to study because it wouldn't be possible to pass a refugee. So I went to China in, in uh, 2010, studied in Mandarin for one year, and uh, uh, then went ahead to study medicine in Mandarin. And uh, for five years, so and uh, in last year July, that's when I graduated. And now I'm a medical intern at Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital in in Malawi. You know, you're quite brave. You you're very brave, very strong. Now, how did you cope with life, seeing that so many people, loved ones, were dying around you, but you still were able to go to school and give it your best and get a scholarship, and of course, eventually graduate uh, from medicine. How did you survive? What kept you going? Uh, well, at different times, I had different motivations. Like when I was little, like what what made me, you know, cope and 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 not go through everything was the gift because I had a grandfather who really loved me very much and other family members when uh, after they was in Mal in Malawi one of my uncles also found us so my family members really encouraged me especially my grandfather where because one uh, we moved when we were in Meheba we moved to Lusaka. So that I could get a better education, you know, my grandfather did that just for me. So with with that, like he, I, I I saw the love that he had for me, even from other family members as well, and that kept me going. Like I, I would say, that kept me going, and and the, of course I was very little, so I, I knew little about, you know, I, I knew like okay, my mother died, my father died, and everything. But well, you know, life happens. But then when when I grew older, that. Now what kept me going is, you know, I I realized that in this life, you know, I have a purpose. I've gone through so much, but you know, I can I can use all that for a, a good cause, and I don't have to, you know, to to be bitter about it or be resentful. You know, everything happens for a reason, and I have a purpose in life, so I have to push to for 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 that purpose to be realized. So with that, it 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 gives me hope, and also my faith in God actually helped me so much. To, To you know, to um, to live the life, no no resentment, and and taking everything and making it in a positive way, taking it in a positive way. If you don't mind, Doctor Twayigira, how old are you now? I'm 25 years old. I'm 26 in December. Wow! At 26 years old, you already graduated, and you've done so much—not just for the people in Malawi, but for girls, young girls, and women all around the world. You've been involved with Voices of Faith, and uh, you've been giving yeah. lots of talks. Talk to us about that. How did you get involved with Voices of Faith, and why? Well, um, my story—because of the same registration when I was coming back to Malawi. Like they interviewed me and everything, and then uh, one of the the Jesuit refugee service, I think journalist, he found me in in Malawi and and interviewed me and everything, and published my story in in one of the news newsletters, I think in the yearly newsletters, and so because of that, many people got to know about me. And that's how most of us they found out about me, and they invited me to go to the Vatican. And also because of that, Enter Culturas, another organization in in Spain, which which helps mostly refugees and education, they also found out about me, and that's why I'm in Spain now because they have a a 
a campaign called Education Opens the World. I mean, they saw my story as something that entails all that. Now, talk to us yeah. about this campaign. I, I actually meant to ask you about the Entrekulturish uh, campaign, mm. as in Education Opens the World. What are you hoping yeah. to instill in young people's minds uh, with this campaign? Well, that education, you know, it, it, it's that one tool that can transform your life because it has transformed mine. And that, you know, we, we have not only educate, education for refugees but even for the young people because it it, it, it makes us open minded and you know opens our world and you know makes us realize you know what is going on around us and so education is that one to you know to but before I let you go, let's just quickly talk about what you mentioned right in the beginning of the interview. Quickly tell us okay. about your plans for your home country, Malawi, if one can put it that way. You did mention that you'd mm-hmm. like to go back and do something for the country. Uh, right now, I'm, um, I'm a medical intern. But in the meantime, uh, I, I do find time to, to go to school and other functions as well to just be able to tell my story and, and be an encouragement to young girls, you know, as, as the way of, 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 of letting them see that it's all possible because I, I believe that my, my vocation is to be that object of hope to many, not only refugees or orphans, but even other young girls and boys. So in the meantime, that's what I'm, I'm trying to do, just find opportunities to to speak to, to the youth and encourage them to find their purpose in life and, and you know, to keep dreaming and to hold on to hope. So for the meantime, that, that's what I'm doing. In, in the future, the, I believe the future is all, you know, it's bright. Uh, because currently I'm, I'm busy in the hospital and everything, but I'll, I'm finding time to do that for now. Well, Dr. Twayagire, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, wishing you, you all of the best with your work. Any last words to our listeners? Yes. I, I just want to, you know, to pass on to young girls or boys who are listening that, you know, they, they should find their purpose in life because that way they will have a driving force, you know, they will not give up at any point because they will realize, you know, why they are here on this earth and, you know, always hold on to hope, hold on to God, and, you know, everything is possible. Yeah, thank you. And that brings me up to time. I'd like to thank once again Dr. Mirel Twayigira for talking to me right here on Catholic View, sharing with her a little bit more about her story of never giving up and trusting in the Lord. You've been listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.